people pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I'm talking with Steven Summers. He is the director of War Movie, The American Battle in Cinema. It is a five-part documentary series looking at the history of war in American films. The more you think about it, the further down the rabbit hole you get. I had a great time talking with Steven. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Can you tell me how you even got interested in making movies? I come from the fine arts background, so I started off as a painter, getting my hands dirty that way, drawing and stuff like that. Got involved after that into video art, video installations that you would see in museums, uh, experimental, if you will. And then I got into narrative filmmaking, and then I started to do that, and then rolled into documentaries. So it's been this evolution of going from the still image to the moving image in different ways, different ways of expressing it. So I, from a personal standpoint of filmmaking, what I like or how I approach things, it's not your standard documentary perspective. I come from like an art background, so I look at it that way. Has all of your work been documentaries or have you gone into narratives at all? No, I, I've I've done narrative shorts. I did a narrative feature, but a few years back, I started doing these short form shorts. I guess is the way you'd call them films that are. They were looking into my family and the history of my family and my father and my grandfather, and they were documentaries, but they landed in the realm of essay filmmaking, like Chris Marker and you know just many others. And I discovered that as a way of working, and I really liked that. But I also wanted, at some point, it was like, let me try to do something a little bit more formal, a little bit more traditional in the filmmaking way, documentary. And yeah, that's how I got into doing the five-part series. It wasn't supposed to be five parts, (laughs) but it grew into that. But yeah, it's kind of been an organic growth to get to documentary where I am now. So yeah. I never thought I'd, if you asked me 15, 20 years ago, I'd be, I would be very surprised that I'm where I'm at. Not a bad way. just didn't plan on it this way. Sometimes plans just go awry. So it might be good that you're just feeling your way through it. Yeah. Yeah. I really don't worry about like how it's going to look on the resume down the line. It's whatever feels right at the moment or like wherever my curiosity leads me, I go that direction, you know? So what was the impetus for war movie, The American Battle in Cinema? It was a lot of things. I think on a basic level, it was a curiosity to look at these films, films that kind of, there's a lot written about, but there's not a formal visual representation of them put together as a documentary. But the real impetus of it was my father, actually, my dad, because I would watch these movies growing up with him on the couch and he'd always have little comments about it, things like that. And I, I liked these movies growing up. I really, I, 
I was a kid in America and I played army in the woods and all that stuff as a lot of us do. And they, they were really, a, they were an important part of my life in some ways. And I, looking back, I realized how much of an influence they had on how I saw the world and stuff. But as I got older, I got a little more educated in the film world and I developed different perspectives. I started to look at these films and were like, they really curtail the way we think about certain things and they really shape how we look at history and war and all different types of things. And every film genre has its huge amount of value, but the war film for me has it's this like great intersection of things like politics, history, the idea of realism versus fiction, lived experience versus represented experience, but then dealing with something as horrible as violence in war, right? The idea of wanting to sit down to watch that. Like, why do we want to sit there and watch that? That that became a big thing for me of, this is the worst thing that we want as human beings, but yet we're ready to plop down and have some popcorn and watch it happen on screen. That kind of give and take was really what drew me into it. And I wanted to know more and yeah, like I said, it wasn't originally supposed to be five episodes. It was supposed to be one movie, hour and a half in and out, but it became so big. And in order to tackle this subject, even a little bit, I had to make it as big as it was. And how did it start to grow? When did you realize, oh boy, I'm in deep with this? Documentaries, I haven't made a lot, but I do know you start off with an idea, but you also have to be ready for that idea to just go in a different direction or mutate or organically form into something that wasn't originally intended. As I met more people, as I interviewed more scholars, as I just got involved in it, it just grew bigger and bigger. Even just representing, let's say, the 120 years of history of war films, just to do that in five hours is not fair. It's still not enough time, but it was like, I can at least try to talk about some of the big things in that time that I think are important. It's one thing just to do a film series just about this happened, then this happened. But to me, it's more about why did this happen and how does that affect us now? Like the cause and effect of these films, right? Not so much just who directed it, the struggles, getting them made, that kind of thing. It was more about the weight of these films. You've got a ton of clips. You've got a ton of interviews. Where do you even start with all of this? You just jump right in. <laughs> you just, yeah, you just, I, the first person I interviewed was, I'm in Chicago, was Jonathan Rosenbaum, the, the great film critic. And he's got some things to say. So it was really interesting hearing somebody from his, what I call like the film Cinema, I'll call the cinema world, have attitudes and opinions about, right? And so I was like, okay, that's one thing. And then I would go interview a different scholar and they would have a different opinion. And I was like, okay. And then I'd interview a veteran and they would have a different opinion. And it was just a matter of just getting the pieces and starting to flesh out the story, whatever that story was. And yeah. At times it was like, I need to find somebody to talk about this. And I would find an expert or somebody to talk about it. But yeah, it was a lot of just trial and error and just seeing what fits. And I have a lot about this, but I don't have anything about this. 
It took like a year and a half, two years to really put it all together. When did you actually start on this? Yeah, it was probably three years ago now. And it, the interviews were on and off for a year and a half, traveling all around the country, finding scholars to talk about it. Yeah, it was all over the place. So, I seem to remember something happened about three years ago that might have slowed your process down like a global pandemic. Yeah, that's a real kick in the teeth, let me tell you, when you're like ready to go and they're like, nope, the world's shutting down. Yeah, it but what you got to do in that situation, or at least I did, was say, okay, I can't do this. I tried to do as much as I could, and I couldn't, but what can I do in the meantime? How can I learn? Instead of just going, oh, shucks. Like, I read a ton. I, I talked to other people in different ways on emails and just tried to find the story without going to people for the interviews. So... It may have been a blessing in disguise and saved me a lot of money and aggravation in some ways by forcing me to build it out before I didn't do it. Yeah. I mean, you just got, you got to roll with the punches on that stuff. How many war movies do you think you watched over that time? <laughs> <laughs> too many, too many. I think, yeah, hundreds that I've never seen before. Just so many. And it's, it, it's really, that's also very interesting going back and looking. It's one thing to watch something blind, but to have a knowledge of the time period around it, it just makes all that stuff so much more fruitful and yeah, makes it so much better. So it really made the viewing experience far better knowing some of this stuff going into it. And if I just watched some of this stuff cold, I'd be like, mm. but knowing what was going on in history behind that or you know what the studios were going through was definitely helped my experience. No art exists in a vacuum, but the war film in particular seems so influenced by the times in which they were made, especially even if you look at something made during World War II versus a World War II movie made 10, 20, 30, 40 years after, they must change dramatically as you're using that lens of history to look back on something versus things being made in that present time. That was also like the big discovery for me is like, things are never what you think they are when you watch a film. A lot of historians are aware of this, but like history is, it's not a certainty. It's not a, it's a malleable thing that can be presented in many different facets. And a big example of it changing through the present is the hit Civil War film. The Civil War film has been the one that like has been, how we see that struggle has changed dramatically depending on society's viewpoints, right? And the movies mirror that exactly, right? Like how we deal, look at slavery or how we look at racism or all that stuff. It's all in there. And it's, it's, as one scholar said, civil war films don't tell you about the civil war. They tell you about now when you, if you watch the current one. And it's no different, right? You were saying war two films, we're all gung-ho, no pun intended, during the war. But as soon as it ended, we started to get a little jaded and Vietnam started and we started to be critical. And the idea of the hero was something different, right? The We didn't just put soldiers up on a pedestal real quickly, or at least the conflicts up on a pedestal. And, and then that con continued to evolve and change. 
And then you go into like the 90s where you have Saving Private Ryan. And it's almost like we're back in the 1940s again a little bit with some of those films. That's the beauty of it. It's, it's constantly a changing thing. And always drawing on the past, but also the present. Yeah. My favorite one is, what was it? We want to thank the Mujahideen fighters in one of the Rambo movies. And it's, oh yeah, I think they might've taken that out now when I look at it. Yeah. That's a, that's a cultural slip. Rambo bringing that up is just super interesting. Like I grew up in Rambo time, right? He was the guy everybody wanted to be. But as far as looking at it from historical perspective, all three of those movies are super interesting as far as the first one's kind of first blood is about that PTSD veteran that's suffering. You feel apathetic for him. But then you get to Rambo, the second one, where he's, it becomes a whole different type of movie of reclaiming America's pride in Vietnam and the soldier and all that. And then you get to the third one and we're getting it. It almost lays the, the path to the future of like our relationship with Afghanistan. And you know what, like how wild is that? Who knew he would have, that wouldn't play out like that historically. Right. So yeah, you know, I don't know about this newer, the newer ones, but yeah, those three are very odd, very crazy. What kind of, rules did you give yourself? Because I know one thing is that, as you say in the title, this is the American war film. So we're not looking at films made anyplace else other than the U.S. or at least made by American filmmakers, I take it. What other guideposts did you give yourself for coming into this? I just want to say I only did American films, not because I know slight world cinema. I think there's a huge amount of superior world cinema war films come and see and lots of them but it just had to do with again getting that took five hours you're getting it down to something manageable if you start talking about world cinema it's oh my god it's so much it was a matter of economics in that way but it was also america's influence on the world i think that's a big thing if these movies just don't live in america influence us they influence how other people see us. And so I want to put a spotlight on that and say, what do these films do beyond our border, beyond our own states, stateside? So that was a big thing for me too. Uh, but as far as other limitations, I really, it wasn't so much a limitation, but it really was important to me to get multiple perspectives. And that was from the scholar world, right? People that study these films. Not so much filmmakers, because I think there's a lot of stuff out there already, but I also wanted, I wanted to get the veteran voice, the people that have experienced these things and how they see these movies, right? Because oh, I, in my time, I met veterans that love these and still watch them, and some that don't watch them at all because of you know what they represent or say or whatever. So to me, their voice was really important because I think it's so easy for us to just watch a movie and you know, forget that maybe somebody experienced that and it's like totally traumatic for them, but it's easier for us to just turn off and walk away. Again, going back to that, like looking at violence and enjoying violence, I didn't want to condone it or say we shouldn't be doing it, but I, I think it's something that's really interesting we should look at and talk about. So what were some of the biggest surprises for you while you were making this? Um, the biggest surprise for me was meeting a lot of 
people that you think would go one way and they're thinking about something and then they would you would be like they would go the complete direction opposite direction of seeing a film that could be problematic let's say such as american sniper which is the highest grossing war film of all time right huge success but traditionally has been seen maybe as leaning to the right or encapsulating some of those ideas but i I heard from a lot of scholars saying yeah but it really shows the depth of this character and the the idea that he did struggle with ptsd and it is well-rounded movie even if it is saying some of these things that I don't agree with. It works. So it was a lot of people pointing me and saying, you may not like everything that's being said, but it's done very well in that kind of fashion. People are surprising what they say, what they like, if you start talking. I have a real penchant for war movies that don't necessarily have war in them, but it's more of the backdrop or something that inspires Things like Bob Clark's Death Dream, where it's all about the veteran experience coming home. And it's not a Rambo, but it's definitely deals with that. That seems like a whole other can of worms. Does it have to have a battle scene in it for you to say this is a war film? Um, no, it had to do. We talk a lot about the PTSD representation, veteran representation, going back to Rambo. To me, it has to carry weight, right? How did it affect the public in some way? So the reflection of veterans and how PTSD is put or shown in film has been wildly influential on how we think veterans experience coming out from war. And it's really not true. The idea that everyone comes back has problems and unhinged. In the 70, early late 70s and early 80s, there was a lot of films that had that as a character trait. And I think that's it's unfortunate in some ways. It makes for great writing, but it doesn't really reflect well on those who have served. So, yeah, that's important to me. That's That was like, yeah, that needs to be talked about. And we said there were movies coming out about the Iraq and Afghanistan war right as as it started, that we're like that too. We've learned nothing. <laughs> like we're still making the same mistake instead of giving like an honest portrayal of this. It's tough because when you start to branch out beyond the battles, we'll call it, you could probably go on forever and tie everything back to nearly a conflict in some way. But I think for me, it was just being like, how big of a mark on society does this leave? Especially, yeah. I really like the way that you have things chapterized and yeah, I'm amazed that each one is just about an hour. It must've been very tough for you to hone that editing, to get things down to about an hour, a chunk for each of the five of five pieces of this. Yeah. I got hours and hours of interviews of stuff that's just golden, but, uh, DVD extras someday, maybe, I don't know. You just find, you have to get to the gold and. There was a lot of stuff that you're like, it's got to go. Like, it's got to go. But, and you, you got to keep it moving too. That's the other thing. It's, you could spend it a whole hour on one in film, take any of them, and you could, like, so it's, you feel like you're actually cheating the film sometimes by not getting into it. And this is a survey of just these films. And so I hope people that if they're like, they see something or direction they like, they'll be like, okay, and go maybe rent more movies or 
pick up a book because that's the beauty of books. They can write on forever. You can put a lot in a book, not so much in a movie. It's really limited. So yeah, it was a challenge. It was a challenge. As far as I can tell too, this was a one-man band. You were the editor, producer, director, and writer all on this. It's a nut job thing to do, but yeah, I I had other edit a little help from other editors here and there, help actually helping me make decisions because just having somebody else look at it with blind eyes can help you a lot of saying, you know, trim this, trim that, get it down to this. I edit outside of this type of stuff for a living. So the editing for me is I love it. I to me that's filmmaking. <laughs> In some ways. Like that's my world. That's where and you can just really craft things. And I it was a lot of work, no doubt, but yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. I could go back and keep tweaking it now. I won't lie. So one of my favorite edited bits is when you're talking about the structure of a lot of the World War II movies and how they start with the scroll, and then they've got the big speech at the end, and just the beats that they hit as they go through, and the makeup of the crews and things. Like, there's the guy from Texas and the guy from you know New York, and just all those differences. I love that bit. I love when you look at so many things and just start to find those patterns and are able to explore those on screen. Yeah. Yeah. And there were more than that I put in there. I think I did put in the fact that they all had like an animal, like a little dog or a pig, or they had a mascot, which is just wild that probably in some room producers are like, the ladies like that. And they like throw that in there. It's just stuck. I don't know what GIs towed the dog around the middle of Italy during our war, but I don't know. You were talking about what surprised me. Another thing that I found interesting is I didn't know, like a lot of people, about the Korean War. So that was something I was excited to know more about the conflict, but know about the movies. And it's in the documentary is the amount of orphans that end up in these films, Korean orphans, and how that becomes such a like narrative pivot point or structure, part of the structure. And that kind of thing is interesting because it was happening in real life. They put it in films. And you can see it popping up in other things after that too, because you look at Indiana Jones with Short Rounds, the character of Short Rounds is stolen right from the steel helmet where the, there's a character named, he names him Short Round. And it's, oh my God, that's where uh, Spielberg and Lucas got that from. Like, they didn't even make up the name. They just stole it all appropriated it that kind of stuff is awesome when I mean, you see a through line through history like that too well there was another film or two film called red beach it's a last known b picture but it's it was made in the early mid 70s i think but they're storming this beach and this guy's arm gets blown off and and that's just hard to see back then they didn't show that kind of violence and you're like oh Spielberg saw that and put that in Xavier Brett. You know, like you can just see the things he appropriated and put in different movies. That kind of like through line is really great. It makes the whole world like more colorful in some way. You mentioned inspiring people to watch more movies. And I definitely want to track down the one that you were showing clips from where it was the Japanese Americans who were going into the army and just fighting for country their new country and i was like oh i had never heard of that one before 
that movie is not even on Blu-ray. It's only on DVD. It's hard to find, but it's fantastic. It's one of those movies that during that time, they were trying to right a lot of wrongs socially in films and stuff. That one needs to be shown more because it's cool. And they historically, that regiment was incredible. So it's again yeah, it proves how much of an idiot we are as a country sometimes when we make these restrictions on ourselves of limiting people and then this happens but yeah there, there was there's a number of movies like that uh, there's another one not gonna remember the name of it that follows a half japanese half american soldier it's based off a true story who goes over there and actually talks Japanese soldiers out of caves instead of going in and killing them. And he convinced through because he knows Japanese, he convinces them to come out of the caves. And there's a young George Takai in that movie. It's like really great just to see again that use of movies to right wrongs, like you were saying, the whole idea of putting an African American soldier in each battalion in the movies. Whereas it was like, no, we don't want to. Keep them out of here. We'll do it in the movies, but real life is a whole other thing. Yeah, and that's weird during World War II because that was like the government wanted that, which is really strange. They weren't the government wanted the image integrated army. They're not really going to do that. <laughs> that's just crazy. Yeah, that, that stuff is just yeah. It's hard to watch that stuff. It's okay. You talk about like movies trying to right wrongs. It's still happening now. There's a new movie out. I haven't seen it yet, so maybe I shouldn't talk about it, but Guy Ritchie's The Covenant, where it's about an American soldier going back and rescuing the Afghani interpreter that saved his life. And I think there's just something so, oh, so we're going back to Afghanistan to rescue the people in a film now because we might not have done the best job up there. So it Rambo, again, in some way of, trying to right the wrongs of history in a way trying to get our our pride back a little bit through that that line of rambos do we get to win this time that was so telling (laughs) see i didn't hear that when i was a kid though i just saw the big guns and the muscle and so i think you and i are about the same age and if so you probably clearly remember that glut of vietnam films that came out uh around like mid 80s i don't know if platoon started it but there was definitely platoon full metal jacket hamburger hill gardens of stone just all of these movies just all seemed to come out right around the same time and it was just like oh are we now suddenly ready to deal with vietnam but it just it felt so odd to be coming out at that time right in the pretty much smack dab in the middle of the Reagan era. And it was like, okay, are we doing revisionist history or are we just ready to actually have this conversation? Well, why it happened, how it happened. It's weird because some things can be said, yeah, they happened because of this. Other things might just be a sheer coincidence. Like Oliver Stone making platoon probably didn't have anything to do with Reagan being in an office. Maybe some of those movies like Rambo did because that's a little earlier, but Reagan was all about getting rid of the Vietnam stink, right? America is still powerful. From that perspective, Renambo fits into that like kind of political uh, angle that he was going at. But the films like Platoon, I think, were trying to give some... That was more for the soldiers and more 
saying it was okay that you were over there and what you did. But yeah, there was a lot of them. And I still, yeah, I I think it comes down to, you maybe have two or three films that are really honest. You probably have Platoon, Hamburger Hill, and you probably have Full Metal Jacket. But the rest are probably there because they know they can make a lot of money. But like, they, it was a hot subject and they're like, Let's get another one out. Maybe Good Morning Me in Vietnam. That one's pretty good, too. Yeah. But there's a lot of schlocky ones, too. Oh, I forgot about Casualties of War. That was right there in the mix as well. You had your work cut out for you. I can't even imagine what it was like trying to put all this together and shape it. Like I'm saying, too, I'm talking about all these post-Vietnam movies. And meanwhile, during Vietnam, yeah, there are some movies being made about it, but not nearly the amount that are going to be made 20, 30 years from then. We come out of World War II and we're just churning movies out and it's woohoo. And then like the country gets jaded over the Cold War and then Vietnam happens. And yeah, it's like a 180 degree turn of how the studios dealt with all that. They didn't. <laughs> they just because because of the they wouldn't have the sales. They wouldn't have the viewership. And they knew that. They knew young people didn't want to see Vietnam on screen. They hated it. So the only guy to dare try that was John Wayne. And I don't know if you've seen Green Berets, but mm, it's one for the ages. And you get this kind of like real time of trying to heal after that. And that's why it takes a little while for these like movies to really come out that like are very, speak to it very well or creative about it. I'm really looked at it in a kind of honest way. It takes some time. And it's interesting now with Vietnam and that we we went into Iraq and Afghanistan, all the studios tried to deal with that. Like they wanted to release movies, but they didn't know how to do it. And it was it kind of it was a mess. The first seven or eight years, like there's movies that come out, but they're not any good. They're just they don't know how to speak of it. The language hasn't been formed yet. It may not have, still might not be, but I don't know if we have a good movie about Iraq and Afghanistan that really sums it all up. Like we do Vietnam or World War II or any of those stuff. It may take some time for us to get there. Yeah, I recently watched Black Hawk Down, and which I know is not about Iraq or Iran, but more Mogadishu. And just to see the way that the people of that area are portrayed, and it just is, wow, have we not learned anything? They may as well be carrying spears and wearing makeup on their faces. Yeah, that's an unfortunate thing because the book, which I read not too long ago, really gives a lot of perspective from their point of view. Everyday people having their world just shredded by this, assault right and they missed an opportunity there they really did of i love that movie i think ridley scott is what he pulled off is cinematically amazing and i can sit down and watch that any day but yeah it really doesn't talk about the larger conflict the way it could have that's it's a shame and it's funny i talked to the series wraps up with me asking veterans what do you want to see a war film. What is missing from the narrative of all these films? And they nearly all said the other side. We don't see the other side or get that empathetic viewpoint of either the Afghanis or the Iraqis or 
the Vietnamese or whoever. They're just like, they've got stories. There's a reason why this conflict happened. And you always see the Americans come in and do their shit and that's it. And that's always been a challenge for American movie makers, but I think American audiences, I think we have a hard time wanting to see that. It doesn't make it into the films, unfortunately. I thought that experiment of Flags of Our Fathers and Letters from Iwo Jima was interesting. I don't know if it was 100% successful, but that was an interesting way to go about it, to have one from the American side and one from the Japanese side. To have it all in Japanese and really just keep it. They feel like the same movie in some ways, but they're wildly different. And yeah, they're very interesting pieces that run parallel. And they took a big risk by doing that. I think he really, and I'm sure he knew the American one would be pretty successful, but to have the other one, I'm sure he had to talk the studios into doing that a little bit. But it's definitely a hallmark film for that because of that. How many American films are made completely in another language? Be surprised somebody like Eastwood would even do that, right? I want to ask you a very unfair question, which is if you were to recommend a few war movies to people that just say, oh, I, d- I don't like those, or because they haven't seen them, they haven't given them a chance, what would you recommend? What are a few titles that you would say are gateway drugs to more films? If somebody doesn't like them, they usually don't like the violence, and I understand that. To me, I said the like ones that are, are more think pieces than they are about the action, right? But to me, I love anything Kubrick touches. You could do Full Metal Jacket, of course, but I think Paths of Glory is super beautiful film. It gives you some of the war experience, but it gives you the corruption of power. It gives you a courtroom drama. So I think that makes you really not like war. It is very good. Even the original All Quiet was really good. All Quiet on the Western Front is amazing, but also the new one is pretty Pretty spectacular, too. I'm a big fan of Thin Red Line. I don't know a lot of people are, but I think that is very contemplative and very interesting about talking about war in, in, in a different way. But like I said, I can sit down and watch you know, Black Hawk Down and just be in love with that, too, because if it's, it's, it's amazing from a production standpoint how they did that. Red Badge of Courage is really interesting as far as Again, showing the perspective of a soldier with PTSD, but in the Civil War, which is a very, we don't think about that being in that, right? So the thing that I had scholars say is the movies are all the same, essentially, right? It's all about these people going into a situation and it turns out differently than they expected in some ways. So no matter what war movie you watch, there's always that relationship throughout. When did you actually have picture lock on this when were you done with everything probably about six months ago i would say there were little changes i had to do here and there because of some facts came up that were a little different and things like that but yeah i'd probably say six or eight months ago so what's the history of it since then did you show it at film festivals or what's happening with it since then for a while, we had a distributor, but we decided to go our separate ways and kind of release it on our own. And we, right now, we're just pushing it to get it out there. It'll be on Amazon eventually and all that. Hopefully, we'd like to get it on a major tiered platform like Apple or HBO, but we just haven't gotten it yet. 
Am I correct that you're selling it to universities and schools and libraries? We're right now just releasing it to universities to get them to purchase it. But within the next month or so, it it will be out for the public. We have have Blu-rays and DVDs, and it will be streaming within, I would probably say, a month. So we'll get it out there, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the world of media film is, it's, it's changing every week. It's so weird how we, what's popular, what platforms are popular, how they market things and who, what they want. So it's what's hot one week is not hot the other. So you just got to keep moving and hopefully you get on a train that takes you where you want to go. Are you working on another project at the moment or is this it? Fiction continues as they say. Yeah, I'm working on a, it's the, it is a documentary, but it it's more of an essay experimental film part documentary, I would say on the apocalypse, on the idea of the apocalypse, the history of how we've always had this fear and how it kind of doesn't ever go away, just changes throughout history. And, you know, how this fear can be very dominating to people and really shape how we react and things like that. I always just pick light, happy topics like war or the apocalypse. I know. I have all these books around my apartment up war or the apocalypse and my wife just shakes her head just like who did I marry that's another very personal thing for me it comes from a personal background of the fear of that and it's again something I want to explore and I think there hasn't been really anything out there about that and I think why not it's turn on the news geez (laughs) you know like it's always on the tip of our tongues but that'll be an hour and a half feature so just one thing not no no more five hour stuff. Yeah, I can't do that. I love that you have this five hour documentary. I just was talking about a three hour documentary about erotic thrillers, and then I know that there's the five hour sci fi from the eighties documentary. I just love that people are doing these longer documentaries, and especially about something like war films, where, like I'm saying, there's so much of a reflection on what was happening at the time and that it just really does make you think about this stuff. So I really commend you for putting all this time and effort into this. Oh, thanks. Yeah. It's just, uh, it turned out pretty much not exactly how I thought it would be, but like the, every film is a journey. It sounds terrible, but it's true. you like, you don't do it to have this thing at the end. You do it for the experience of making it. And it, it there's times it sucks a lot, but you get to meet these people, you get to talk to them and you get to learn just this huge amount of stuff. And you really, you're forced to think about stuff differently. And hopefully that comes through in the film is, and I didn't want to make just another war films. Aren't they great? Here they are. And here's the history of them. Yeah. It was really important to me to make people think and maybe create a dialogue about them, not just celebrate them. I don't, I do, but I should be critical too. I can't wait for more people to see it. I'm really excited for that. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Is there a good place for people to keep up with you and your work? Yeah. You can go to cantiliverfilms.com. That's the website. And I'm on Instagram and I'm on TikTok and Facebook. Yeah. Just Cantilever Films. Fantastic. Thank you so much. This was great talking with you. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. It was great. 